Good morning and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. Good morning, Kenny. Hi, Bill. And of course, we have Mr. Bill Grace in the studio, too. Yep. Darn good to be here. <laughs> happy to have you, Bill. We're you very do. happy to have you. You do everything for us. Miss Julie just waved to hey, us, too. <laughs> we're, po- we're, we're popular it's this morning. It's a great morning. show, yes. So, Annie, you got any updates from the last week? What do you mean, updates from the last week? Are you doing anything fun last week? Oh, Since well, the last time we spoke to no, you. I mean, that, my usual, I'm just taking care of my garden. I did do, actually, <laughs> I did do a ton of garden work, uh, clearing out and uh, making everything better uh, so it'll you know, start sprouting up because it's been raining so much. Everything's sprouting like crazy and growing like mad. So, you know, I didn't want to wait too long uh, to clear everything out. I mean, I have like, I don't know, 10 uh, trash cans of of debris. (laughs) That's a lot, probably for most people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you do, Kenny? Um, Because you always do lots of cool stuff. Well, last week we had um, the owl expert on. Yes, she's so great. And yesterday I saw... Last week we mentioned how my domestic ducks, who have kind of been bred to be domesticated and you know, f- friendly <laughs> they, towards, they that, get along with everyone. They get along, and they've been seen uh, in the pond with a barred owl last year. Yeah. Well, yesterday, a red shoulder hawk came in the pond, taking a bath with the ducks. The and ducks d- are no like problem. a foot away from each other, and, and they're, they're not eating the ducks. That's what I find to well, be odd. The Red shoulder hawk is about a pound, pound and a half. Oh, so the and ducks the, are too big. The ducks are about twelve pounds each. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, they have the size on them. Yeah, but Good. you know, it's nice to have wildlife in nice. the backyard. It is nice. And do you know where red shoulder hawks live? I do not. They live in trees. Oh, ha, ha. well, I did. Okay. I'm kidding. And <laughs> today, <laughs> tell me something really cool. Well, that's cool enough. They live in the southeast, but today we're talking about trees. Yes, we are. Oh, you're so smooth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Anna, you want to introduce our two guests? Uh, sure, sure, sure. Um, so today we're talking um, with uh, Rebecca and Sean and uh, also with Oscar Nurse. Uh, Oscar is a an arborist. And, uh, well, I'll, let me just read you guys about who they are. That's a better way to <laughs> Since we took the time to write it down, we might as well read it. Uh, we're talking with uh, Rebecca Zarger, and she's an associate professor at Department of Anthropology. Oh, that would be a doctor, Rebecca Zarger. Uh, she's a, a, the Department of Anthropology in the University of South Florida. Her research focuses on human environment uh, relationships and how social inequ- in, uh, inequalities, excuse me, intersect with local ecologies, including food and water resources, climate change, and social, or excuse me, coastal. Boy, I'm having trouble today. Uh, coastal sustainability in the Tampa Bay area. And Dr. Sean Landry is a research associate professor with the School of Geosciences and director of the USF Water Institute, University of South Florida. His work addresses issues related to water, wetlands, urban forest, and land cover change. 
And Oscar Nurse is a premier arborist, owner of Nurse's Tree Service, and has been a professional in tree care for close to 30 years. His goal for, is for the health of the trees and not necessarily the desires of the tree owner, and we'll talk about that later. I personally have known him to refuse jobs because it wasn't the right thing for the tree, and that's very unusual in this business. And we... Uh, Oscar was going to be here, but he had a tree emergency, so he, he was not able to be in the studio. So we have everybody's on Zoom. So welcome, Rebecca, Sean, and Oscar. Hi, guys. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Sean and Rebecca, you guys there too? Yes, hey, good, good morning. morning. Yay. Okay. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. So, so we have our notes in. I told Danny that before each question, we <laughs> we wrote down your name so you know who we're talking yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> because there's a lot of questions. <laughs> and, and Annie has a lot to cover. I do. This is something that's very, very close to my heart. I, I'm one of those people that stand in front of the tree so they don't take it out. So uh, they can't, that doesn't work anymore uh, <laughs> to be, you know, so, uh, but the police have been called and that's all I can say. <laughs> so Rebecca... Can you tell us a little bit about the process of the recent tree canopy study of the urban forest and remnant native forest ecological analysis and the history of it, please? Uh, thanks so much, uh, Annie. And um, it's great to be on the oh, show. Oh, we're so delighted you're here. Yeah, um, I think some of the history, uh, Sean would be a great person to, to answer this okay. question. Um, he's actually been working on the tree canopy study of uh, change in tree cover over time uh, for more than 15 years. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I just got involved fairly recently, but I can tell you about the, the purpose of the study. Okay. Uh, okay. And then maybe turn it over to Sean for a little bit more information about the, uh, the history of it. Sounds great. So uh, we're really interested in um, understanding two main things. One is, as I mentioned, how uh, the trees and tree cover, tree canopy in uh, the city of Tampa is changing over time. Um, and that's uh, been tracked for a number of years. Uh, the present study is one that is done every five years to assess what's happening um, within the city boundaries. And uh, the study is um, funded by the city of Tampa and um, we'll be, you know, sharing a lot more information about uh, what we're finding. But um, we're also interested uh, for the first time with this study in uh, this, this sort of social life of trees in Tampa. So um, we're very interested in understanding um, how residents feel about uh, trees in, in the city, in their own yards, on, on the streets, in neighborhood parks, mm -hmm. and what they are experiencing as far as change with those trees. Okay, uh, great. We have yeah. a, we, I have that in some of my lists of questions. So uh, that's great. Uh, but if Sean, do you want to elaborate on when they started? I think it started in 1971 was the original, and then now it's going on. Do you want to talk about uh, the the plans that they're that every five sure. years? Thank you, Sean. Sure, thanks, Annie. Um, so the the city of Tampa is one of the cities in the U.S. that's had a, a tree protection sort of ordinance since the early 70s. They were they were one of the first. I mean, part of it was probably uh, a sort of result of the large scale development that right. was occurring about that time, and 
uh, lots of trees coming down and, you know, people realizing if we keep going at this rate, we're not going to have any trees in the future. Uh, so the, the ordinance, of course, had, had changed over the years. Um, in the 2000s or, or early 2000s, 1990s, there was a lot more development going on. And so some of this conflict came up again on, you know, do you allow trees to be cut down for development? And, and you know, the, the developers, you know, felt trees were in the way and, and <laughs> were trying to argue for um, a, a better way of doing things. And, and, and one of the better ways of doing things is sort of if you let science guide the policy. And so, believe it or not, it was the Builders Association who came up with the idea that let's, let's put in place the need for a scientific study on a regular basis so that the results of that study can be used to evaluate the city's policies. So that, that initiated in 2006. That was the, um, in the City of Tampa's Tree Landscape and Natural Resources Code. There's a, a part of that specifically says that the city will conduct the ecological analysis every five years. And so this is the fourth time we've done that. Um, colleagues, my colleagues, Andrew Kozer, Michael Andrew and Rob Northrup from University of Florida mm -hmm. are always working together. We work closely with the city, uh, Brian Knox in city planning and Eric Mukey and in Parks and Rec, uh, Whit Reamer, um, who you know, um, and, and others. And so this, this time around, Becky's um, gotten on board and we're really excited about conducting this survey. Yeah. So, um, so, I understand it's not complete. Um, it's, your survey part is completed, but it's not available for us to uh, to know the results until about a month or two. Is that correct? And also, I wanted to say, I was on the early board with the uh, the tree uh, protection situation, and we always felt like we let the the foxes into the hen house. But it's interesting when we let the builders in. So it's interesting for me to hear that you said that they did the scientific study. But one thing I do want to know is, and we. Don't don't talk about this right this second, but uh, what good is it? Uh, they have a scientific study, but what are they doing with it? So, I don't know. I guess We're, you can answer now. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, it's going to be a tough show. Is. Annie is so passionate. I am. <laughs> well, the short story with that is back in, um, after the 2011 study, um, the city, uh, through my colleague Rob Northrup, um, he helped the city kind of organize um, some some meetings and some planning events to sort of develop an urban forest management plan. Uh -huh. And so there were there was a natural resources advisory committee that was made up of members of the community, um, various disciplines, all the all the typical actors. Uh, the end result of that was was an urban forest management plan that specifically sort of sets key um, ways to evaluate, are we doing the right thing? Are, is our policy working? And, and presumably, if not, then you could address it and you could sort of tweak the policies to, to better either protect canopy or allow for development or, you know, the combination of the two so that we, the goal is no net loss of tree canopy in the city of Tampa. Okay. If we, achieve, if we achieve that goal, we'd be we'd be doing quite well. Yeah, um, I agree. So. If we do, so I better shut up for a minute, <laughs> <laughs> regroup so, myself. So, Sean, <laughs> since we have you, um, 
on. Um, I have a question. My All my friends are sustainably minded, and yes. they're always quick to point out when a new homeowner moves in and they get rid of all the trees in their property, my friends are always quick to say like, oh, their air conditioning's going to go up, their heat's sure. going to go up. So can you kind of briefly mention the benefits of having trees, not just in the city, but in your backyard? Well, there's there's been um, a lot more research um, happening on what are the benefits of trees uh, and not everything is a benefit. So also what are the costs of trees? Um, you know, trees, everybody knows, knows trees um, absorb carbon. Uh, they, they uh, help reduce air pollution. Um, it's these, all of these things have been measured. Um, if you have a lot of trees in the neighborhood, it's been shown to reduce the air conditioning requirements for the homeowners in that neighborhood. Um, Stormwater uh, reduction is is one of those things. You know, as 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 it rains. In fact, we're doing a study right now on on the Tampa campus of USF. But trees intercept rainfall, and that rainfall then does not run off into the storm system uh, and overload it and cause flooding. And you know, so trees can help in that respect as well. We did a study last uh, in 2016. And we found that the sales price of single-family homes is actually higher uh, for homes that are in neighborhoods with more tree canopy. Oh. The what uh, did so you say? Would you repeat that, please? Houses that are in neighborhoods so with looked, more trees are sell cool. better. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, they try to encourage that, but a lot of people just want it flattened out and start up. Well, Annie, we have some emails that mimic your feelings. Yes, thank you very much for, <laughs> for emailing y'all. Yes. Yeah. So I want to remind listeners that this is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guests are Rebecca Zarger, Sean Landry, and Oscar Nurse. We're talking about the tree canopy, specifically in Tampa. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. I just want to say that it is Hillsborough County, but we know our Tampa area better. That's very what good. we're talking about. So, Oscar, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yay. Okay, very good. So we got an email at the top of the show, and they sent two pictures, which I'm going to describe to you. And they said, sure. my neighbor recently trimmed the last grand oak on oh, his property about four years ago since construction. And is this old tree in danger? My tree is resting beneath the shade. So this is a four-story oak tree. And on the right side, there are no branches. And on the left side are all of the branches, and that's like hanging over, you know, the fence. So okay. is, it, is it bad to have an asymmetrical tree? It's, it's not the best thing to have. You want a tree to have balance. Uh, that way the weight is distributed evenly over the root system. So if you have a one-sided tree, obviously the one side is going to be pulling on the opposite side, the roots, if the wind is coming from that direction. So it's better to have balance. There are things that you can do to reduce the potential for failure on a tree like that, which are reductions on the other side. The side that does have limbs, some limb reductions for weight purposes would be helpful. But not seeing the picture, not seeing the, the tree, it's hard to say. I just know that balance is very important in trees. That's for sure. Yeah. So thank you. I, thank I you for answering that. I did send it that. to you, but I don't think you can look at it um, on, uh, online well, while you're on Zoom because you're on your phone. Yeah. But it's exactly like they sliced the whole tree in <laughs> half on one side. It's kind of scary right. because it's, it's a four-story 
large oak. Yeah. So, uh, Rebecca and Sean, we got another email from Rick. And uh, wait a minute. I want to even make a comment on that. Not only is that tree cut radically on that side, they lifted uh, all the soil up around their side and uh, have about, a, I'd say, about a foot and a half above. That's, that's not what you it's a terrible way to go. Exactly. They have a foot and a half above with a bunch of plants in it. So that's going to keep all the, the roots wet <laughs> and smother the tree. Right, Oscar? That, that's not, again, that's not the best case scenario. There are simple ways to keep a tree healthy. The number one way is just to do not try to adjust it more than it needs. Let the tree do what it does. Mm-hmm. Watch out for dead limbs, obviously. Uh, weight situations where limbs get too tip heavy can be a problem. Yeah. But trees do what they do very well. We're just here to help them around structures. The relationship between structures and trees is what we manage. Very good. So we do have a couple of emails, but first I'm going to take uh, Jerry, who's on line one, and he's calling from Tampa. Hi, Jerry. Hi, St. Petersburg. Hi, Jerry. Oh, St. Petersburg. Okay. St. Petersburg, yeah. So first of all, I'd like to say St. Petersburg is an excellent example of continual trees in, in the environment. I just moved back after 40 years in Hawaii. You called last week. I did. Well, I remember I'm, you. I'm into, your sta- I'm, into your sta- I'm into your station. I think it's very good. Excellent. Ever. I'm so and glad. Then, and I'm going to promote it, and I'm going to go check Yay. my band today. <laughs> you know what I mean? we got to pay the piper, right? Yeah. Got to pay the band. Got to pay the band. So um, number one is um, the best resource I've seen on trees in my experience, and I'm not 20 anymore, is the Permacultural Design Manual by Bill Mollison. I want to say that. Now, pick, take your pick on these on these because you might run out of time. Well, so, we, we then, remember it is an hour show. We have three guests already, <laughs> right, so right. And it, then, let's make and it quick. What are your top three <laughs> trees to promote in this area between Tampa and Bakers? The top three trees to promote. Mm-hmm. And then I had some personal stuff, but and then I'm very interested in neem, neem growing here. Oh, yeah. Um, so if you want to, is that good enough? And then I had a personal <laughs> one. Here's my personal one, Serenum cherry. Like, Serenum uh, cherries, you know, yeah. Serenum cherries. So I, I've experienced it as a tree, but and then I cut it. I'm taking care of my childhood fourth grade friend's place, <laughs> and I cut back Serenum cherry. It's not sprouting, and I'm like, I'm not I'm not happy with that. Well, make sure so you didn't a, over... I've seen it as a tree, but I don't know about a hedge, and I'm not a huge fan. So I've well, it's actually an invasive tree. species. Um, okay, 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 good. Well, we'll take your pick. Well, uh, but they're delicious. Like, <laughs> I know, but the but the the thing is the Bill Molson thing. Please, if you can elaborate on that or talk. And about what's it. a it's a permaculture design? What the permaculture? Hey, if you haven't seen it, it's the best. Well, what's the name I've of it? Ever. So I can write it permaculture down. Permaculture design manual by manual. Bill Mollison. He's a father of permaculture. And what's his name again? I'm gonna write that down. Bill Mollison. Bill Mollison. Bill Mollison. Okay. Yeah, he's a he's almost he's still alive. He's a, mm-hmm. he's in Australia. He's from Tasmania. Okay. He's what. Guess what? Cuba took Cuba is the permaculture capital of the world. They took on permaculture and they are thriving. Oh yeah, they're doing great mm-hmm. since the '60s. Okay, so permaculture design manual, mm-hmm. top three trees to promote in this environment, and then would would my meme, and then we can do my thing later. I'm, I'm just okay. <laughs> yeah, thank All you right. so much for All calling right, out. Really, for, thank you very much. Oh, thank you're wonderful. You. Thank Appreciate you. it. All right, so. Um, Let's go to Oscar. Oscar, what are some of your favorite trees to plant? To replant after somebody takes something out, too. Yeah. 
Well, you, you can't go wrong with the live oak tree. That's always going to be a good tree. They'll be here for a very long time if, if properly maintained. One thing about getting a new tree is you want to make sure that the structure of the tree is as good as it can be. You want a balance. Again, we're talking about balance. You want a balance. You don't want a co-dominant, which is multiple stems coming from a single trunk. You want to avoid that the best you can, especially when planting, because this tree that you plant, we would hope, would be here for a long time, and you don't want to start off bad. Uh, outside of the live oak, there's palms, which are not actually trees. Palms are always fine. I like Drake elms. They're very nice. They're slow growers. And also another nice tree is a crepe myrtle. It's more of an ornamental. Mm -hmm. But if you develop it properly, it can become somewhat of a, trait, uh, a shade tree. They're very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that, those are all just opinions. There's a lot of trees to choose from. The, the white again, ones, you can't go wrong with the live oak. You can't the, go wrong. The white uh, crepe myrtles also get quite large. They're the largest growers. And so you can, if you don't cut them like crepe myrtle, yeah. like people do, murder, yeah. uh, then you can just uh, trim out the dead. Because isn't that the whole key? You just take care of the trees and forest. Take out the dead. Look at what's cross branches. And yes. then that's it. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. not a lot more to do. Just uh, watch the tree, enjoy the tree. Hopefully, it'll be there for generations. Yeah. If it's maintained, it has no. There's no reason why it won't. Now, outside of that, are, of course, the storm situations. And I did see the picture that you sent, Annie. Oh, good. And that that's a horrible. I, I mean, that's a perfect example of horrible tree. <laughs> exactly. No and they paid some guy to do that. That's what kills me. Some guy made money, and he went in there and did that, and he should have refused the job. Well, the problem is people opinion. will do anything on a tree. If you have any knowledge, you know that's not the proper I know. way. Right. Limbs should have been left, and it, they should have been left. So that's a, yeah. a terrible it situation. It should have just been reduced. So uh, we have about a lot of emails yes. we need to get to. So let's roll with that right All now. right. So Rebecca and Sean, we have an email from Rick of Treeley, East Tampa. As a person active with Trees City Council and the Tampa Tree Advocacy Group, um, that group tells him that citizens overwhelmingly want their trees right. and developers do not. Some people fear that a branch is going to fall off the roof, but they forget how with fewer trees, you become more unresilient to future heat and climate change. Well, it also splits the wind. So there's that. And then we have another email from Doug in Clearwater. I planted two trees that are doing well. I have a third one that died, so I cut it down. It grew back, and it's doing better. And he also gave um, very he, – he's replacing these very mature trees. Oh, very good for you. And – so let's go to David. He said that, hey, guys, great job with the show today. I love the canopy roads in Tallahassee, and they even have street signs showing how they have designed the tree canopy roads. Are there any other cities in Florida that have such a designation? Rebecca and Sean, do you know of any other cities with beautiful tree canopies? In Florida. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, cities with beautiful tree canopies. Um, I'd, I'd love to take uh, Rick's question uh, about uh, tree advocacy groups and uh, concerns of citizens about things they're seeing uh, happening in, in their neighborhood or on their street about trees. Sure. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things about the uh, social equity part of the study is um, that we do, we have a survey um, that we've gotten really good response um, from folks in all neighborhoods uh, of the city. Um, we've got uh, 1,100 people that have uh, let us know what they think about trees and what they're seeing and experiencing firsthand. And what's really surprising is that 
more than 300 people actually volunteered to do uh, to sit down with us and talk with us in more detail and do an interview, which is a pretty large number. So I think you know one of the things we're seeing from uh, not just the survey, but from interviews with folks from all different neighborhoods in the city, uh, going to neighborhood association meetings, talking with uh, developers, talking with folks uh, who work for the city, uh, who deal with trees uh, in some fashion, is that um, we're really seeing a lot of passion for this topic from people who live in the city of Tampa. Uh, And I think, Based on the survey findings that we have so far, it, the overwhelming majority of people uh, either want to see the same amount of trees that we currently have or potentially more trees. Oh, that's good news. Um, we're also uh, seeing some uh, results about the fact that um, if uh, people were you know, to sort of weigh the the pros and cons around uh, removing a tree versus planting a tree that it's a it's a very complex set of issues and um, I think that Rick's comment really speaks to that right where it's not just it's really not just about trees it's about development and the future of our city it's about um, the real connection that people have with with trees you know in their own yard uh, on their street. Um, it's about how they see the city of Tampa as a, a tree-lined uh, street uh, city. You know, and, um, um, so these are things people are are really concerned about and are sharing with us. That's great. You know what? We are popular today. This is a topic that everybody wants to talk about. We have four people on the phone lines that we need to get to. So I'm amazed, but not really. I'm happy <laughs> about it. So yes. Yeah, so first, we'll take David. Hi, David. Hey, David. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, yes we can perfectly. Hi, my name's David. I live in Seminole Heights, and I'm one of the reasons I moved here is that I do love how many trees there are, and they basically, you can take a walk and it's not super hot, uh, because it's pretty much the whole, all the streets are lined with trees, and I think that's really great, but I have noticed that um, a lot of the houses are getting bought up and knocked down, and then I get a flyer in the mail saying, hey, we're going to tear down the dangerous tree. Mm, dangerous right. Lawn. Dangerous oak tree. Yeah. It's not a dangerous oak tree. It's no. just a normal oak tree. It just looks like an oak tree in the middle of a field, but the house was knocked down next to it and they want to just tear it down. Right. And then what happens? Two houses get built in the place right. of that one house. And it really annoys me because it's like, I get it. We need more taxpayer money. I don't know. But when you send a letter saying, hey, yeah, I would like to see that tree stay there. All right. Nothing happened. You don't get a response. Well, you know. Yeah, let's ask, uh, like, Sean. Sean, is there anything <laughs> you can do when. Okay, when first a, off, when is a that, disreputable arborist comes <laughs> over and says that it's a dangerous tree when it isn't, but is what that, can uh, you do about it? Yeah. Because, yeah. Normal looking trees. <laughs> so, for, so, first of all, um, you know, up until a few years ago, the city of Tampa really had complete control over its own tree protection ordinances and requirements. In the city, yeah. In the city. And then what happened in the state government was that they put in place a a rule that said city governments basically cannot regulate um, themselves in a sense. And what that that rule that was just um, revised uh, this last month is that 
if it's if a certified arborist or landscape architect um, declares that the tree is um, uh, a hazard, a hazard tree, and that's kind of loosely defined. Very loosely. Then, then it can be removed. And so, well, it, so it is a hazard because it's in the way of this house that doesn't. <laughs> right. Well, and so. and the. And that's part of the problem. I think recently it was strengthened. Um, prior to this, um, you, it was a lot easier to declare something a hazard and just remove it. Um, I think it, it's a it's a tough tough call. I think hopefully this law will be a little stronger than it has been. Um, but the real challenge is that they they took away the the penalty for removing a tree even without a. Uh, permit isn't really high enough to the point where like, hey, whatever, we'll just pass the cost on to the home buyer. Exactly. You know? Like, who cares? Let's just knock them down. We, who needs well, trees? Right? <laughs> I think there's a history here that we should also remember. And, and er, um, uh, arborists and foresters often have that term, the right tree in the right place. Um, yeah. One of the things that happened over the years, take the example of laurel oaks, is that trees were planted where, quite frankly, either they shouldn't have been planted or it was the wrong species of tree that was planted. Right. So, you know, laurel oaks are falling down left and right around the city because they are all planted about the same time and they're a short, short-lived tree, particularly if you don't really do a great job maintaining them. Um, and so moving forward, same, same can be said for the you know, the, the, the lot where they planted a tree in the middle of it and now they want to build on it, but the tree's right there. Um, if they had planted that tree along the roadway or, you know, along the edges of the property, they wouldn't have to remove it to mm -hmm. rebuild. So, so Sean, let me ask you, let me just interject on that. So uh, the thing is, is that some of those trees weren't planted. They were there and the people uh, built around the trees because they liked them and they had double lots. So they would put a house on a single part and they would leave the beautiful tree to contribute to uh, everything. The the environment, the uh, animals, the water, the, the everything. Now, uh, you're also just said something about the laurel oaks. Now, there was a, a bad situation that happened in South Tampa that a per, some a person uh, decided that they were going to put all these oaks along the line and they didn't know the difference between the laurel and the regular. And you are right, they are falling apart. Here's the, the dig on that, though, is that nobody is replacing those large trees with a tree that could get large. And the reason why is because there is not enough lot line left to hold the size of a large tree. So that, I think, is part of the problem of this, that people are taking out these, but they're not replanting, and they're also not replanting a tree in an area that could at least get that size uh, because there's no land uh, for that. And I don't know the solution because I do know that in the new uh, uh, thing that's been updated that you said uh, about um, uh, that it's, which was just this month actually, that uh, they don't have to replace with a tree. And that's upsetting to me. It's better because they can improve who is the one that's saying it's going to get taken out, but they're still not requiring a replant and they're not requiring a, a replant even if they did, in an area that could sustain it. So I'm confused about all that, and I don't know if you can help with it, but... Um, so we want to... Well, 
we want to thank David for calling in. We do have five other people we want to address, but Shania, if you want to answer Real Annie's, quick. Yeah. Real quick. Well, clearly, it's going to be a challenge moving forward. As you know, South Tampa, particularly, as our preliminary results have shown, South Tampa lost tree canopy for the first time uh, in 2021. So we, South Tampa has is the lowest amount of tree canopy it's had since 2006. And when was Other, that law changed by the uh, the governor? Uh, I don't know the exact date of that. I wanna, 2020 I wanna, maybe? Um, I actually want to say I think it was more like 2018 or okay. 19. Okay, thank originally. you. Um, but I, I can't be sure of that. Yeah. But, so, uh, you know, other areas of the city have, have dec- some have decreased just slightly. Um, Seminole Heights, where that the person was calling from, uh, Central Tampa area, um, USF area, sort of the area north of Hillsboro, including USF, decreased slightly as well. But both of those areas are sort of within the margin of error in the study, so that you can't say there was a dramatic decrease. But overall, the city has um, slight decrease, um, and certainly... Uh, when you compare it to 2011, we've definitely had a decrease in overall tree canopy. And if you think about the development that's occurring in the higher density and the, the, the zero lot line, like you just mentioned, yeah. you know, you can imagine this situation is going to even get more challenging trying to find places to plant trees. Exactly. Now, so. we have like five calls, and uh, it's, this is a very hot topic. So I yeah. guess we're going to have to roll to that, or we're never going to get through this yes, show. Yes, but guess what, Annie? What? So I booked the next shows for like the next four months. Yes. But we have an opening in September, and I think oh, we, got, we should do this we again. we got to do cheese again. Yeah, I think so. All right, September. so I'm going to go in order. It's going to go Paul, Connie, Pete, and then Nancy. Okay. <laughs> so if you're not Paul, just hang on one second. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. Hi, uh, I'm Paul. I'm a resident from South Tampa. Yeah, uh, I actually have a question for Dr. Zarger. Perfect. Um, I've noticed a lot of tree removals uh, in the area, and uh, have you heard a lot in your research from residents about developers removing trees in the neighborhood? That would be for you, I, Sean. Oh, no, no not Rebecca. Dr. Zarger. Oh, yeah. sorry. Well, I I think either of us could speak to that. Uh, uh, thanks, Paul, for the question. Um, I think one of the things that we're seeing is um, from interviews with, uh, with residents in particular, um, not so much from the survey results, that residents are seeing a lot of change uh, with, with trees in their neighborhoods. I think uh, the spatial results that Sean mentioned can help pinpoint some areas where that has changed maybe a little more dramatically or more significantly uh, than others. But um, I can say from going to a recent neighborhood association meeting uh, in Seminole Heights that um, most of the folks who were in attendance at that meeting were concerned about this topic and, and had seen um, trees come down that they you know, were unsure about whether permits had been in place. There was some confusion about the specifics of, for example, um, how to reach out to the city about uh, a tree either notice or coming down. Um, And I do think that um, a a lot of the uh, development patterns that that we're seeing, the intensification of development in some of the urban core neighborhoods um, has got people's attention. Uh, So 
I do think that um, each case is a little different. Um, I think one of the things that is very challenging about this is that you have a lot of different views about what should happen with trees on a particular lot of, you know, depending on who you, who you might ask. Exactly. So, a lot of different views. I don't know. Thank you, Paul, uh, So we have like five call. uh, calls and some emails. So uh, that's a good answer. So let's, uh, let's move to the next if we could. Yeah, people are passionate about trees. Very much so. Hi, Connie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Connie. Um, I just wanted to say I live on a designated canopy street oh. in, uh, in Sarasota County in oh. Venice. And the whole street is lined with live oaks, and they're quite large. And um, I don't know if it was the developers, but it's, it's nicely planned, and it looks really nice. And so it's, it's actually called a designated plan? Yeah, yeah. It's a well. It's a designated street, so it, the, you have rules on what you can do with your trees. That's nice. Um, That's very nice. That's very nice. That's Sarasota County. Although, I mean, there is a lot of development out here too, and they sure. are knocking trees down left and right. Well, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> they, they fit into a criteria. That's the thing. It's so sad. Right. Thank well, you. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for calling. Yeah. Thanks for the show. It's a pleasure. All right. Next up, we have Peter, and he has. A Maybe a question about palm trees. Hi, Pete. Hi, good morning. Um, I uh, have a house, uh, it's a townhouse, and um, so it's facing due south. And I have two um, triple robolinis that I had in, in, in uh, pots uh, uh-huh. out there. And um, one of them got, like, scorched because it's facing due south and it gets sun all day. Uh, and the other one, I moved towards the back of the place where it, it gets sun partially. So the one with the partial sun took off. Mm-hmm. And the one that was out front was scorched. I had to move it. So my question is, it looks like a, uh, like a triple robolini would not do well in that location. And I, I talked to some other neighbors, and they said, oh, yeah, no, they don't work there. So what, what else? I love palm trees. <laughs> And I would love to plant a nice palm tree out there, but I really just don't want to spend, you know, a couple of hundred bucks and have it fried. Yeah. Well, if they're in pots, too, there's just one thing I just want to say. If they're in pots, it's quite likely that they dried out. And especially if you have uh, rubellinis, because they are a massive root structure. So they're not going to have a lot of room for a lot of soil. Um, So if you don't keep a water uh, on that, that's not going to help you. And because if it was in the the dappled light, which not shade, but dappled light, you're not going to dry out as fast. And that would have made a big difference. Oscar, do you have another recommendation? Oscar, I do the, the variety of, of palm. They're all going to be pretty much the same. It just depends on what you want to see, what you, what you want the palm to do, and the location is always key. Uh, irrigation is a big point for at least the first six weeks. But like Annie said, the pot is going to restrict the growth and also the absorption of the water. So getting them out of the pot, irrigating for I, I like to irrigate for six weeks when a, a tree is transplanted yeah, or a palm for forty-five and that's minutes almost at a time. Yeah. Packing the soil, that's also a big key to getting them to properly well, root out. Yeah, I, I, I put them in pots so that I could move them around and see what they did best. But, um, you know, I, I did plant the one uh, in the dappled light area and mm-hmm. it's taking off. So you mentioned that the uh, Robolinis have huge root systems. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Well, in a that's pot, right. they're going to spill the pot up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm answering for Oscar. 
Sorry. Yeah, they're going to become root bound. If they survive in that pod, they'll become root bound, which means the yeah. roots are starting to wrap around uh, the root ball itself. So you want to get them out of the pots. Robolinis are, they do develop large root systems, so you don't want to leave them in pots for too long. And uh, would you put that, like, next to a house? I mean, uh, that's the other question I have. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, how, how close can you put it? Eight I, feet away. Eight feet? Okay. And, so, I'm um, sorry. Annie gets so excited. I do. I just jump in so <laughs> If fast. she knows the answer, she will tell it's you. It's hard. <laughs> can I jump in with a recommendation? Yes. Yes, please. Um, so a number so of years ago. question, if you don't mind, um, I have a, a a big waxy myrtle. I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, the the I guess somebody the the builder or whoever planted this waxy myrtle, and it's growing like crazy. And my concern is that it's uh, it's you know more than eight feet from the house, but the root system on that is giant. I mean, it, it's growing roots all over the place, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering whether or not you know that's a good thing to have so close to the foundation. Okay. All right. Thanks, Pete, for the question. So, uh, Oscar, Sean, do you want to answer well, so that? I want to point out a resource. There's this um, years ago, um, a group of us researchers got together and put together uh, what's called the Tree Matrix for City of Tampa Tree Matrix. It's a it's a work in progress, but it's basically a list of a whole bunch of different tree species and some relevant characteristics that relate to choosing <coughs> the right tree for the right place. How would they get that? Uh, Sean, that's a good subject. Uh, primarily from my my um, colleagues at University of Florida, you know, IFAS, um, but it's a, just a it's a compilation of a, a bunch of previous research that, yeah. where, where we know the characteristics. And so if you if you go to the Tampa Tree Map um, website, there's a there's a link to it from there. Uh, I think the city also links to it, but again, it's a work in progress, so it's yeah. meant to include, you know, as many tree species that are appropriate for Tampa and the various characteristics that uh, we'll help put you that, decide what to plant. We'll put that on our social media page. I'll, I'm going to do the write-up today, so yeah. I'll make sure and find that link that people can get into. All right. Great. Thank you. Pete, thank you. And uh, next up, we have Nancy. Nancy, from, thanks for hanging in there yeah. for so long. She has a comment, and she's from St. Petersburg. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Uh, I wanted to promote the uh, Red Bay. i planted two of them. Uh, they have different leaves for some reason, but um, I like them because they can shade the house, but you can be, they don't get as huge as an oak tree, and they're not as messy, and they don't need water, and the migratory birds love the love the caterpillars from the smoky moth that likes the tree, and other birds like the berries, and uh, it's just not what other tree is not messy and doesn't get huge? Yeah. Well, those are some good characteristics. Thank you, Nancy. Sure. That's a, it's a, also a great segue because we have a email from Anne in Tampa. And she said, remember that native trees like cedar, oh. cypress, longleaf, pine, they all support birds and butterflies yeah. and wildlife. And that's so important because if you're doing a native, it's because it's supposed to be here. And that's what is important for us to continue the loop to where the insects, the birds, the everything, and then it, it works with the native uh, foliage besides the trees too. So that's really an important factor. All right. So we've pretty much answered all the emails and calls. So Annie, you get to ask a question pretty soon, but first... <laughs> We have one more uh, message. I think this probably 
This is probably a good one for Oscar. It's from Tom. He says, what do you do with all the Spanish moss on your oak trees? What's the best way to deal with it? I love your show. Is the Spanish moss a danger to oak trees? Oscar? I see that all the time. I get that question regularly. Spanish moss is not a danger to the tree unless it starts covering the foliage of the tree and prevents from getting light. There's a lot of trees that'll do very well with moss, mainly older live oaks. Now, if you have a small tree and it has a lot of moss and it's covering the foliage, then you certainly want to pull some of that out. And the way to remove it is to actually get up there and hand pick it out, remove it manually and take that out of the tree. Give the tree some light, give it some time, give it some ability to get that light again. Outside of that, Spanish moss is not a problem. And I think it's really beautiful where it's sustainable for the tree. Yeah. Not only is it not a problem, but we, we recently just did a study um, where Spanish moss um, significantly reduced air pollution. Oh. So as a, you know, we use Spanish moss as a bioindicator to kind of evaluate areas of with pollution. And you could, it was a noticeable, uh, you could noticeably detect, you know, that Spanish moss was absorbing it. So it's, it can be beneficial as well. That's a wonderful point. I didn't know that, but that's, that's great to know. A little tip for you guys. Uh, if you, you can use a Spanish moss and, and line the inside, the outside of a, a hanging basket. Uh, and then you, uh, interline that with a, a cut plastic, uh, corner out of a, uh, a, a trash bag and punch a couple holes in it. It's gorgeous. Is uh, Sean, Rebecca, can you tell us is Spanish moss native to Central Florida? It's native, yes. Most definitely native. So we... They're beautiful. Shouldn't be too concerned. <laughs> so, Hello, it's, uh, my first year doing research in Florida um, it was out in the scrub with a lot of Spanish moss around and um, Chiggers like Spanish moss. <laughs> yep. So can you imagine when it the, historically... That's what I was just thinking. Oh, bedding. <laughs> in your pillows, in your bedding. Oh my gosh, it's everywhere. All right, so we got about 10 minutes left of the show. And at this time of the show, Annie and I always like to mention the sustainable events that are happening in Central Florida. So I'm going to mention one and then uh, Annie's going to add a couple more. This Sunday, the Berry House Beer Company in Ebor is having a plant pop-up with hundreds of carnivorous plants and houseplants available, as well as eco-friendly merchandise like upcycled vintage clothing and a sustainable natural product shop. They are located at 1403 East 5th Avenue in Tampa, which is right in Ybor. And the vendor fees and portion of beer sales will be going to the Shore Elementary. And patrons are also encouraged to drop off school supplies during the event. The event is this Sunday, July 31st from 12 to 3 p.m. Kenny will be there. And I will definitely be there. (laughs) Okay, and I'm going to... Call out the rest of them. Uh, we'd like for y'all to think about joining the Ignacio Haya Linear Park on Saturday, July 30th at 8 a.m. Uh, it is uh, to help plant native trees, shrubs, and grasses to create a living shoreline. The volunteers will also help clean up along the newly restored estuary and shoreline to keep our waters trash free. And you have to wear closed toe shoes. And that is 5108 5100 because if 
of course, it's a park, and North River Boulevard, Tampa. And uh, I would suggest that, well, it's also said the check-in area will be where uh, Wilder Avenue and North River Boulevard intersects. But I would also go to Eventbrite to get the more details because you need to register. Yeah. Annie, can you just say one more event? Yeah. Oh, wow. I know. So uh, <laughs> go to Eventbrite and check all the things out for uh, the... Um, uh, what is sustainable? It? This is UF uh, dash uh, IFS IF, IF, extension Hillsborough County. There's uh, uh, three back to back things that are coming straight up, and there's going to be it's rainwater harvesting. Uh, there is composting, micro irrigation, and the one I registered for and I'm excited about is going to be canning. I don't know how to do that, <laughs> and so there's going to be a three part series. I went ahead and signed up for it, and it's going to be uh, three months in a row. So y'all go to uh, E. Uh, what is it? Eventbrite. Yeah, UFIFAS. And, and go in and find all that stuff because you got to register anyway. So there's that. Yeah. And if you go to the Sustainable Living WMNF Facebook page, and you can see all these events, but you can also go to WMNF.org and search Sustainable Living. And then around five o'clock every Monday, our show notes are posted and yeah. you can also see the event. So yeah, you can hear it the whole show. We have six minutes left. We have a email and a phone call. So welcome to the show, Charlie. Yes. Hi. Um, in the last year, uh, my wife and I bought a ton of shrubs and trees to, uh, to plant in our newly purchased home. And um, more often than not, they've come root bound. Yeah. And my, my question is, is how do, you, how do you tackle that? Do you pull it apart? Do you start cutting X's in it? What, what, what's your methodology? And we're talking plants, everything from like one gallons up to 20, 25, something like that. that. So we've been busy. Because I know exactly what to do with that. And uh, there are some plant materials. Well, first off, you should have been going to a reputable plant seller uh, because they would give you a better plant, possibly. Uh, well, the other actually, thing is... Actually, this is like three different nurseries, and it's like, all right. unfortunately, more often than not these days. It's, okay. it's, it's almost like the uh, nurseries haven't, haven't moved the plant up to the Well, that's possible. Well, that's possible, and that, that could make a difference, but you'd pay, tw- you'd pay double, at least. So, good you got it soon. So, you can uh, take a saw and slice the outside about three times around to keep the wrapping from happening. That'll do it. Pull, and you don't have to pull it, just slice it, put it in the ground, make sure your bed, your hole is bigger, and put amendments in it. And there's there's conflicting thought on that because it, they say it stops you before going. And so you can make the choice on that. Like if you put the amendments, they say the roots stop. Uh, I'm not a big proponent on that. So. Yeah, because we've almost noticed that, you know, by, 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 by basically mangling the roots. Yeah, don't do uh, that. Next time, just slice them with the saw. They, uh, you know, it takes um, six, nine months to uh, actually start yeah. growing again. Yeah, and when you also do that, when you put the dirt in, put your hose uh, in there and, and push it all around the bottom so you make sure you get it uh, out of the air pockets. We're almost out of time. Thank, Thank you, you for calling. Appreciate it. Thank Bye. you, Charlie. Sorry if we sound excited and rushed, but we just didn't. We have a lot to say in a short period of time, and we never got up to about half of it, seriously. We didn't get to 10% of it. I know. But we have another email. But we, you know what we like more? When what? people participate oh, in the show. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. So I that's... mean, it's not just all about us asking questions <laughs> and getting answers from the guests, although that would have been a nice thing. 
<laughs> well, guess what? In September, in we're going to do another we're treat. Do it again. <laughs> There'll so, be another chance. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's. Break All right. It. I'm not so kidding. we got another. We have you know several emails. One is hi, sustainable living team. I'm Kira, and I am Dr. Zarger's doctoral student oh, and research assistant on the study. I wanted to add that in recent resident interviews, we have been hearing a lot of concerns from residents about the affordability of tree maintenance for storm preparedness oh. and safety in neighborhoods with inequitable resources for canopy management. We are also hearing a lot of interest in more edible forestry. Very good. And uh, that's exciting. But I can I can see, like, you know, we have hurricane season for many months. I can see all those flyers from the tree people right, saying... bad tree people, I want to say. Like, be careful. Yeah, and they scare you into it. I want ans- uh, Oscar to answer this on, tree, on uh, hurricane preparation because there isn't a lot to do. So, Oscar, can you address that? Absolutely. Uh, there's a, a, a culture of fear in this yes. area, probably widespread. Th- people think that you need to clear all the limbs away from the roof. That's I've heard horrible. 10 feet, which... Sometimes, and the insurance companies will ask that you clear it 8 to 10 feet, and that's understandable. But when they limb up a tree or strip it out, when they take all the limbs and make them very far from the roof or from the roof or the structure, what can happen is when a hurricane comes, generally they'll knock the top out of a tree. The top will blow out. And when that happens, nothing is going to slow it down. It's going to come down like a sledgehammer. Right. So keeping the trees healthy, removing the dead wood is the best way to prepare for a storm. Um, do not limb them up. Don't make a 15-foot clearance. Eight to 10 feet is a good standard. It satisfies the insurance companies, and it's also close enough to the roof where it'll actually slow down the winds a bit as they approach. Right, it splits it, it open. Uh, one thing I want to say, because we're almost out of time, and I want to make sure this gets addressed, is the lion tailing that people do as well. So yes. if you can answer that real quickly, that'd be super. Sure. The water sprouts, or most people call them suckers, the interior growth on the tree. A lot of people like to take all of that out up to the ends of the limbs, which Mm -hmm. is is very bad for the tree. It starves the tree of the nutrients because it can't absorb the sunlight. Mm -hmm. Those are generally uh, compensation growth. When you take a big limb, you'll see some interior growth come up. Yeah, because it's got to feed itself, right? That's right. If you have to clear some 30%, that's a pretty good standard if someone wants to see that. But it's not about aesthetics every time. The function of a tree is much more important. So and you want to leave a lot of that in inside the tree. One thing, we're almost out of time, so I want to throw this in here real quickly, is that when you do the line tailing, which you can imagine what that is, it strips the large limb, it has a tuft on the end, that torques it when the wind hits it and splits that limb. So it's not an appropriate thing to do to any kind of protection for hurricanes. I want to thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, we're going to have to book another time because this was such a good show and it just wonderful so um thanks so much oh uh, thank you Kenny. And I, said, I just add one last thing that's yes, not quickly. too late to take our survey it closes august 1st go to usf oh. water institute backslash tree survey uh and you can uh share your views the city is really interested in hearing from folks um, which they will use to inform the tree canopy management plan in Perfect. the future so we will add that to the show now. Thank you so much. Really appreciate Thank you. it. Glad really you brought that up. Thanks for having us on. It was oh, a real pleasure, guys. It was a real pleasure oh. for us. If you enjoyed the show and our weekly content, please consider going to WNF.org, donating through the tip jar, and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on air. Stick around for the next hour to hear WMNF Tampa's Monday music with Flea. Next week, Annie, can you tell the listeners who's going to be on? I have no idea what my paperwork <laughs> is. All right. Well, follow our Facebook oh, yeah. page. Let's see. And 
Uh, uh, no. <laughs> visit our Facebook page to stay in the loop. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for turning me in. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. A dangerous heat wave maintains its hold across the United States from the southern plains into the east. From member station GBH in Boston, Tory Bedford reports in National Weather Service says the heat